Welcome to the Shelfformers podcast, the show about toys, why we like them, our connections to the figures, and their relevance to bigger topics. I'm your co-host Sugu, and tonight we're going to have a little change of plan and talk about Hawkeye. And I'm your co-host Darby, and I'm going to try to talk about Hawkeye without talking about Spider-Man No Way Home, which somehow Sugu hasn't seen. I love how you're surprised about that, as if I could control that. <laughs> right. Hashtag not a true fan. <laughs> Before we begin, by way of introduction, I'm Darby Harn, the author of the novels Ever the Hero and A Country of Eternal Light. I'm a senior writer for Screen Rant and a contributor for Star Wars Newsnet. I am also part of the Movie News Network podcast, talking all things movies, TV, and pop culture. I collect comic books, Star Wars toys, and things I really should not be buying. <laughs> and I'm Sugu, your co-host. I work in IT and education, and I'm also passionate about writing and story. You can find some of my travel writings on allaboutjapan.com, where I've written various articles about my life and perspectives in Japan. I collect mostly Transformers, but I've recently started collecting Marvel Legends figures and die-cast cars, such as Hot Wheels. Since living in Japan, I've developed an interest in tabletop gaming, so I also have a wide collection of board games. Tonight, we would love, absolutely love, to talk about the new Spider-Man No Way Home movie. (laughs) But we can't, simply because I haven't seen it yet, and I know... Some of some of our audience has asked me to turn in my Spider-Man fan card. It ain't here yet. It comes out January 7th. We're recording this uh, on Christmas Day. So Merry Christmas to our audience. Um, hope you Merry have a Christmas, wonderful day. Happy holidays. Yeah, happy holidays. Um, yeah, so we can't talk about Spider-Man. So that's out. Uh, but another another MCU property did just finish up this week. And that we can talk about, and that is Hawkeye. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's, I have to, I have to uh, consider everything I say, because Sugu has not seen Spider-Man. I've seen it three times. Uh, Therefore, talking anything MCU is very complicated, especially Hawkeye, because, well, I can't say why, but the... uh, (laughs) But, uh, yeah, we're going to dive into Hawkeye. I think we're going to do sort of a 40,000 feet kind of overview of the first season and just kind of talk about our thoughts and feelings about it uh, now that the show is over. And then maybe maybe a little bit we'll talk about sort of maybe the our feelings about the MCU this year, which we can't talk about completely because Sugu hasn't seen Spider-Man, <laughs> but... But at least his uh, 2022 MCU is going to start off with a bang. Yeah. Right. So, just I guess big picture, Sue. What what did you what did you think of Hawkeye overall? And maybe what were you expecting, and what did you get out of it? Overall, I liked it. I it was a good, uh, good fun, good romp. Um, mm. I think that a lot of it hinged on the final episode to kind of tie it all together, which I think is its detriment. And I understand what you mean. Uh, I think you said earlier on the podcast that um, 
Hawkeye basically is a movie. It should have been a movie and not a TV show. I get that because I would have restructured a lot of it um, because so much of the show just hinged on the final episode where you just have to kind of wait and see what the payoff is of all of this. And then it's fine. Then it makes sense. But before that, it's just, I don't know, it kind of feels rambling a bit or unfocused a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Unfocused is the right word. I, I think my thoughts exactly are exactly the same as yours, which I enjoyed it. Um, it's a lot of fun um, and all throughout. And um, it's mostly a lot of fun because the actors are so good. Um, Haley Steinfeld as Kate Bishop is fantastic. Uh, Florence Pugh as Elena is fantastic. Jeremy Renner is really good in his own series, though he doesn't really get much to do. Yeah, the, that was one of really the unfortunate. Yeah, the, uh, especially as it seems we might be leaving him behind, question mark. Um, but he, he and uh, Kate were very good. He and Haley Steinfeld had a great chemistry. She has great chemistry with everybody, Haley Steinfeld, and, and we'll, we'll dig into that as we kind of talk about big picture. But I agree. It was unfocused. I felt like the show uh, was a movie that sort of got chunked into six parts and then also got stuffed with um, some other as great as Yelena was. Yelena was a part of the plot I felt like got tacked on at some point. Um, And it it uh, wasn't organic. It was, it was dependent upon you having watched the black widow movie out of chronological sequence. Yeah, and if you hadn't, you don't really know who she is. You find out who she is through the show, but you don't really know who she is. And then, you know, she overcomes that, I think, by virtue of how uh, interesting she is and how much fun she is. But it, it feels out of nowhere. And then, and even then, with all of that piled on, they don't, one of my big gripes with the show, I don't know if I can call it a gripe, just maybe, you know, as a nerd, a disappointment, is we don't it really advance that part of the story there's a big sort of dangling thread here from black widow because we'll just lie by the way i guess we always forget to say spoilers if you haven't seen the show (laughs) spoilers if you haven't seen any mcu anything uh black widow ends with yelena being hired by the contessa val uh to kill hawkeye because hawkeye killed uh, as Val says, Hawkeye was responsible for the death of Natasha, Yelena's sister. Um, but is that why we, Contessa actually hired her, though, or is that just like no. the front, the ruse, the? That's the absolutely. Yeah, it's okay. the front, but we don't get any more context to that. We get we're meant to infer, and I'm fine with that. We're meant to infer that the Contessa clearly is in league with the kingpin and oh spoilers the kingpin and uh yelena or yelena eleanor i'm sorry eleanor bishop kate's mom but we don't get any we don't get any elaboration of that and we don't get a greater sense of the contessa's plan uh just that's just a little bit of a bummer because i think it would have helped here understanding because this show hawkeye show because it doesn't do any of that for casual fans seems to present an inherent contradiction um, the Hawkeye series, uh, we're skipping all the way to the end now, but um, Yelena says that Eleanor hired me 
it, it was Eleanor who hired me to come in here and, and wreck house. Black Widow clearly shows the Contessa as having hired Elena. The inference is that there's a direct link between the Contessa, Eleanor, and then by proxy, the Kingpin. Um, we'll get more elaboration on that as we go forward, but ending the show the, the way that they did presents potential contradictions that are probably going to be confusing to people. But that's the big problem with the show for me personally is that is as good as the show is, a lot of fun, entertaining. Um, it very surfacey, does not dig much into anything at all. Yeah. Of all the MCU shows to date, I it, it's the least sort of ambitious and the least. Um, you know, I would say a dig. lot was played safe. A, a very lot much. was played very safe. Yeah, um, you know, Wandavision took chances. Uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier took chances, although that was still. That was that play it safe in other ways, but it it was very risky, um, in in terms of theme and what it wanted to say. Um, For sure, Loki as well, risky in terms of like, can you get away with being that off the rails and kooky? But you know, Hawkeye just kind of very much a safe Christmas show. Yeah, which. Is is you know that's that's okay and so I appreciate it and it's actually good after all you know we've had a lot of big time cosmic multiversal MCU it's good to get back down on the street and it's certainly good to get back down on the street with which for a lot of fans is probably the best part of this which is the kingpin so after a lot of uh, speculation and a lot of really hope for fans of the Marvel Netflix shows um, we get. Um, Vincent D'Onofrio returns as the kingpin from those shows. He's the obviously the big bad of Hawkeye. They do a great job of sort of um, just he sort of walks right out of that 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 show, the Daredevil show, into this one. He's a little bit a little bit more uh, MCU than he was in that show. He's I would say his power level has crept up a little bit. Yeah, Kingpin. <laughs> he can take an arrow straight to the chest. He can take a lot. Uh, yeah, he 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 gets hit by a car. He uh, rips a car door off. Uh, much stronger than he was in the Netflix show. Um, he gets hit by. Uh, Kate sets off a bunch of sort of trick arrows. Um, and so people may be wondering what that's about. Um, we'll you know. I don't know if we don't know because that's another thing we didn't get to context for. So an open question that's going to be very important going into 2022 for MCU nerds is are the Netflix shows canon, right? Or is this just a version of Kingpin that's been in the MCU? We don't know yet. We didn't get anything to contradict it. We didn't get anything to confirm it. So his power level suggests to me that this is a slightly different version of Kingpin. Um, because he's more closer to the comic books, including his outfits, which were gloriously comic booky. That Hawaiian shirt he's wearing in the final <laughs> episode is straight out of the comic. Hawaiian um, shirt under a white blazer. It's it's fun tacky on anyone else. Ta- super tacky. And Vincent D'Onofrio, God bless him, is so good. He has this great eye twitch. The minute Eleanor starts talking, his eye just starts to twitch right here. He's just, he can barely contain. He's like this lady, this chick. How dare she talk to the kingpin? Um, it's he's so good, so it's great to have him back. And I know people were super jacked to see 
any Netflix person come back, but especially the uh, the Kingpin. So and Charlie Cox has been confirmed uh, to come sometime in the MCU. Sometime, who knows when that is? But the yeah, for for Marvel fans, Netflix fans, it's a great time. And um, uh, yeah. And won't talk about any of that, but the but I guess we, <laughs> let me actually. I know we're jumping all around. But we won't do sort of a chronological sort of review of the series. I think we're just talking sort of our thoughts. Well, well real quickly to sure. to jump off of that point, that's one of the problems that I have with Yelena being in there because mm. Black Widow. I've said before that Black Widow should have been released after uh, Civil War. And not waited till after Endgame. It lost all of its stakes by being released so much later. So if you watch Black Widow uh, up until the after credit scene after Civil War, where it actually makes sense in the story, then Yelena's presence in Hawkeye makes even less sense. Do you know what I mean? Like, in order for Yelena to make sense, you have to watch Black Widow like outside of the chronology. Yeah. We've talked about this before on the pod a little bit in the sense of, you know, it's how these sort of stories are functioning now. And this is the, the MCU has definitely shifted into required viewing um, where like, if you've it, the problem is, is that, you know, before people watch everything, if they didn't, then they could get filled in really quick now because there's so much, so we're the MCU is diversifying into the streaming and a lot more movies. So there's a lot more just content for people to absorb. And if they haven't, then, you know, if you're not the super, the person who's, who's just there for everything, you, you have questions. Who is Yelena? You find out who Yelena is through the Hawkeye series. But as you said, um, the stakes are kind of off. They're also off because Yelena is operating from a, uh, she's operating on misinformation that we know as the audience is false. And so it, the whole, and then we also are questioning why one question I would have liked to have had answered in the show. How does Val even know what happened to Natasha? Because how does anyone know what happened on Vormir outside of the Avengers? I'm going to say nobody knows. Right. Um, but we don't know because we didn't get any context. So if I'm Yelena, I have major questions for the Contessa. I I would have been happy with the Hawkeye, Yelena walking out of the Hawkeye series, picking up the phone and calling Val and being like, you and me, you and I need to have a conversation. We didn't get that. Um, so we just have questions about, it. I know we'll get answers, but you know, the, this is one of, it just as a nerd, you want it all. But I felt like it, given the, the fact that this, this show is confined as it is trying to be is also taking on a lot and um the stuff it couldn't really grasp the final episode in particular felt i felt like there's a lot of editing going on some of the editing was choppy there's a super big amount of adr uh like you know lines that were clearly recorded later and put in that yeah, were I know they, that they too. changed yeah they changed they changed some stuff a uh, big victim of that is Kazi who is one of the kingpin's lieutenants um, I feel like his entire arc was sort of chopped away. Um, this moment with him and, and Echo with Maya at the end where he's like, I can't walk in two worlds is meant to be big and dramatic and touching. It's not because 
they had only the most surface relationship through the show. Yeah, that that moment utterly failed. I remember when he said that line. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about, dude? You've never yeah, been conflicted before. You ratted out your, your I don't know, Maya's dad. I don't know yeah. what their relationship is, but like you ratted him out. So what the hell are you talking about? Not being in two worlds. You were never conflicted. You were never conflicted. You've never shown us any kind of conflict. All we really know about you is that you, you and Maya grew up together. Um, it seems like. Uh, and then they Maya's, grew up together. Were they like brother and sister? Or were they like best yeah. friends, like Bridge to Terabithia? Were they like supposed to they, be boyfriend yeah, and girlfriend? Like right? We don't know. We have no idea. And, and Maya, Maya is very interesting. She's very compelling. Her scenes with the kingpin maybe don't land. Is is hard. They certainly, you know, we understand where she's coming from because you know kingpin was actually responsible for the death of her dad. Uh, for me, they resonated because I know their comic book history, so that played into a part. But if you didn't, and if you're just sort of watching it, you're maybe wondering where you maybe wanted. I I personally would have been if I was writing it. I would have introduced kingpin earlier, and I would have developed. Um, I would have developed those relationships more, Echo and Kazi, because um, there's a lot to play with there. And I would have brought Yelena in earlier, too. I, I just would have got her if I was going to have Yelena. And Yelena is great. Yelena and Kate are fantastic together. Um, so I just would have brought all that in, and I would have mined all of that earlier. But they were, I think they were conflicted between, they sort of had sort of story goals, which is the, the basic arc is sort of tying a bow on Clint in the MCU, introducing Kate, giving them a moment to be sort of partners in a team, having a little bit of an adventure, a little bit of a mystery, which was not a mystery. None of the mysteries in the show were mysteries. They were the very, they did the absolute bare minimum to sort of disguise any of that. The, even the red herrings, Jack was just a red herring who felt very like they there was I just felt none of this was very, you know, intricate or complicated. Um, the kingpin was frankly not a mystery just within the context of the story. I know people were shocked that he showed up. But if you were following the context clues, there, there were no it was no shock at all. I would have dispensed with all of it. I wouldn't even bothered with this mystery box stuff. I just would have introduced Kingpin actually in the flashback with Maya in episode three. I just would have had Vincent D'Onofrio pinch her cheek and being like, you know, you're my favorite little niece or whatever. And uh, I just would have got off to the races. I would have brought Elena in and Elena's like, I'm here to kill you. And then like, Clint's like, I what? And then just this is complicate things and, and mine all that drama for what it's worth. And, um, and I mean, I agree to it. a point. The problem is it loses the focus of Hawkeye. Which he's not the focus at all, right? It's like we were kind of saying <laughs> yeah. a minute ago. And this is ostensibly his show, Clint. He's certainly not the focus in episode one. The focus is clearly on establishing Kate. He starts to come to the fore as we go on. Um, but then even then he is clearly in the secondary role to Kate and I have no problem with Kate. I have no problem with Haley Steinfeld, but if this is it for, uh, for Clint Barton in the MCU and, and we don't know, but it, it feels like it could be, then that's a, that's a disappointment because Jeremy Renner, number one is a really good actor and he's so good as Hawkeye. 
mm-hmm. that just sort of that world you know re- weary sort of shrug and sort of like oh god and he has a great line in episode six there where he starts laughing he's like we're all gonna die um when the larpers are uh you know sort of <laughs> yeah right <laughs> join the battle i i love that about him and you know and he's so good with kate if they want to go forward with kind there's tons they can do uh he and kate uh are sort of have a partnership in the comic books that's sort of a little bit mentor student but also just true partners now um and then there's so there's plenty to do there if they wanted to we just don't know you know um I would have liked maybe a stronger sense of direction. There's an indication given what we learn, which is one of the most fun, exciting things for me as a comic book nerd. Uh, we learn a lot about Laura in this show, which I totally called, by the way. Um, you know, pat myself on the back. Um, so people might be wondering about the watch. Did you care about the watch? Did you know what the watch is? Were you? Did you get to the end and you're like, what is this? Me? Um, yeah. I thought... The watch was interesting. Then I forgot about it. Then I remembered it, and then I stopped caring. Then I forgot about it again. Then I was reminded. Yeah. Then I was reminded. I was like, "Why am I being reminded about this thing? I don't care anymore. Leave me alone about it. Stop bugging me about this damn watch." Meanwhile, I'm looking at my own watch, going, "Yeah, my my watch is actually better than that one. What the hell?" Um, and I don't even have a Rolex, but, uh, you know, like, so I kept forgetting about it. And then finally it's resolved. It's given to, uh, spoilers. It's given to her. She turns around the big epiphany moment. Oh, okay. She was a shield agent. Great. She was not only a shield agent, she was agent number 19. She's Mockingbird from Marvel Comics. And so this is one of those things you and I talked about a few times now. This watch only means anything to people like myself. You're so, right. So if you're just a if you're just a if you're any kind of viewer, the they don't explain the significance of the watch. The the the, the big general audience reveal of the watch is that she's clearly an agent of Shield and that's a they were teasing this throughout the show. This is a new development in um in the character of laura although if people will remember back in age of ultron when laura is introduced the first thing that tony stark says when he upon meeting laura is that you must be an agent of some kind so this is uh this has been uh in the ether at least for a little while um but in the comic books uh hawkeye and mockingbird were married uh mockingbird is bobby morris not laura barton but this i think so this does the watch is two things this is a way to tie off laura and give her character a little bit of context and this is fun because we'll probably never see jeremy renner and linda carnellini again which shame on you mcu or this is a wrinkle for the future why why was the kingpin interested in that watch what was it about the watch that he wanted to know why did echo in her apartment have the watch and then a piece of paper that had Laura's name on it along with all the kids. So I mean that's the thing I that hope should be an, that should be an interesting question, but the mm-hmm. reality is by the time that was all revealed, I didn't care anymore. <laughs> 
I'm curious. Um, I, I'm curious to see. Uh, there's plenty of room. There's no reason why we have to move on entirely from Clint and Laura. And I'm curious to know about Laura's past as a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent and spy. She clearly was up to stuff in back in the day. Um, Age of Ultron makes clear that um, Clint and Laura's entire life is kept off the books and was set up there. She in, she in particular does not exist officially anywhere. And Which, so I'm yeah, curious I mean, about that, like why that is. Yeah. I, I'm really curious about that too. And I'm of two minds about whether I like that she's a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. So that means that her being off the books, the kids not really existing, um, no records of them and, and all that. That all being controlled by S.H.I.E.L.D. and all that is one storyline. I don't know if I feel that's better or if I feel it's better that Hawkeye is a shield agent and she is not, she is completely innocent, but got dragged into this shield world because of him. And she like, she has to negotiate all of this stuff and Mm. due to their chemistry, due to their relationship, he basically trusts her completely with all of this stuff. Um, and she has to negotiate increasing amounts of horror. I, I don't know which storyline I like better. Cause you know, like one thing in the Hawkeye show that he told, um, Kay Bishop being a hero, you have to make the hard choices mm-hmm. like that line with Laura, not being a shield agent resonates really, really hard. Yeah, and I I could see both ways. I think it would have been perfectly fine if they if Laura had just been Laura. That had that had worked since the beginning. It was perfectly fine that she was just a normal person. I think it's also fine that she isn't. That she was a spy. She was an agent. Um, that makes sense certainly within the context of her relationship with Clint. Makes sense in the context of her relationship with Natasha. I I'll speculate irresponsibly. It will come back in some way. Kingpin was interested in it for some reason, and by extension, then the Contessa must have been interested in it for some reason. So I'm going to say we'll probably find out here in the near probably future. Probably Echo. Echo, or maybe we got some stuff coming up in which the Contessa is going to come to the fore. So there's some shows coming up. Secret Invasion, Armor Wars are all shows we should expect to see the Contessa. Um. And I, the Contessa, I think, was probably interested in the watch in particular and who owned the watch, who was Agent 19, why is that? We'll probably find out. I hope we find out because I think that could be interesting if uh, Laura has some connection to, to the Contessa then and then by extension we find out who the Contessa was. Uh, comic book nerds um, will know that the Contessa, like uh, Laura, like Mockingbird in the comics, was, is, was a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. And they were both together. They were also teammates at one point. They were also together uh, some of the uh, the most important spies in, in Marvel Comics, the top sort of tier spies. So I think there's probably some connection there, at least potentially. And just as a nerd, I would love to see it. I'd also love to see Linda Cardellini back for any reason in the MCU because she's a great actress who's been uh, woefully underused. And they... I think for some reason, scheduling COVID something, she was basically on the phone for this entire episode. 
a series, excuse me. And so only only there, you know, to kind of get together and at the end. And even then, most of her shots at the end, I feel like she was maybe by herself filming those scenes. So um, that was just sort of weird. I, I don't know what was up with that. But in any case... Um, it was just, it was a fun, nice little sort of thing to learn about Laura mm. and the comic book thing. Um, like I said, I can see both ways depending on how they develop it. Um, this is one of those things, areas where I think the MCU can take freedom or liberty from the source material. Yeah. Because I think, uh, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm of two minds depending on how they develop it, but I with her just being Laura, as you say, can also be a very compelling story. And it, it makes her character that much more interesting, right? Like here's someone who, who (laughs) knows about Natasha and their relationship, right? Their friendship, but is also like completely normal. Doesn't do any of the spy stuff that Clint has to do. And he tells her all of it. Well, there are no secrets there. Like, I, I, I don't know. To me, I find that that story kind of compelling on on her part too. Yeah, and the the I think these types of stories always benefit from having that sort of perspective. And you know, I, the Spider-Man movies in general, I think, do where there's a nice big cast of people who aren't super people. That's fun, and I think it's okay to have sort of. Uh, well, more than okay, I think it's necessary in these types of stories to have that sort of perspective. Um, I don't think it hurts Laura at all to have sort of, you know, have her be a spy. But I, I totally see what you're, what you're saying. And it, like I said, either way, it would have been. It, it all depends on how they develop it. Right. If this is the end for Laura and Clint, then that's fine. Then we just, we just found out a little bit about her. Um, if this does go forward and we get maybe deeper than that that could maybe not work you know maybe we don't like what we find out um but we'll see we just don't know right now it's one thing i'd love to see i would like more context on but you were saying before we started you had some sort of questions about the show um, yeah um i mean one of them was that watch like and okay. it wasn't even what sure. was special about the watch it was why do i care about the watch <laughs> right because <laughs> i yeah. honestly don't um, unless and the watch just, is like a James Bond special where it has like a garrote wire built in or a right, laser we, as well, then I that's something. Kinda, but. Is Laura the type of person who would wear a Rolex? I don't know. See, Weird. I, I don't get that, right? Like they live on a farm. Generally, <laughs> people who live on farms ain't wearing Rolexes. They're wearing like a sundial sure. on their wrist, right? Or something that, that can handle all the weather. I I Sundaria. Yeah. The um yeah, they're clearly on the farm because they're keeping it as uh on the DL as they possibly can. I'd be curious to find out if Laura clearly not her real name. Uh if uh, we find out that Laura was someone else entirely in her former life. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, and maybe had a taste for finer things, but or the watch had some other significance. We just don't know. TBD or maybe not. We don't know because it's it depends entirely on what happens next with those characters, if anything. Yeah, and that's the question, right? Like, like my question isn't what is the watch or what what is so important of it is why the hell do I care about it? 
Like, why should I care about the watch? It's from what we've seen, the watch is just a watch with the shield logo on the back. I think the there's a storytelling problem with the watch in, in which, the, as you said, the show became super interested in the watch for a minute and forgot about itself. Um, there was sort of a conflict in where its focus should be. It was like somewhere, wherever it was, episode three, four, the show was like, oh, this is super cool, this watch. Um, and then, oh, I guess there's a mystery about who killed Armand. Wait, who was Armand? Yeah. Um, and then the watch, I think, is in it. Why should we care about the watch? I think we should care if, um, well, we should care. Why was the Kingpin interested in the watch? And then that, I think, is a valid question. And then by extension, then, why was the Contessa, was the Contessa interested in the watch? And if so, why? And then what about the watch did the Contessa hope to find? Clearly, Echo, Kingpin, someone worked backwards from the watch that it was connected to Laura. Are there other undercover shield agents? Of course. Is this some way, a way to find out who they are? Why do they want to know who they are? Who is Val? Who? What is she up to? So those are all questions that I think have purpose and meaning going forward. But I think the way that the show handled it was not ideal. Yeah. Um, I would have been tempted writing it myself. I would have been tempted to keep it as sort of. Uh, I would have tried to minimize it, honestly. I would have had the watch only come into focus at the very end. I just would have, you know, I would just would have thrown out tangential references to it. Just maybe remind people every few episodes that it exists. And then Clint gets the watch back as part of, in the course of the story and he, he brings it home. And then just maybe have a moment with Laura where Laura sees the watch and, you know, some indication. I would have also, though, put in, like I said, I would have had some forward momentum coming out of the story with Elena in regards to the Contessa being like, hey, you sold me a bill of goods. But um, we'll find out, I think, going forward. Those are reasons to be interested. Yeah. Um, and we'll probably, probably get some answers in the Echo series. Uh, and then um, certainly as the Contessa factors heavily into... Uh, this next sort of whatever her 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 plot is, but I have a feeling we're gonna that's gonna start to emerge here in some of these series that are coming up. We're gonna take a quick break to let you know about some exciting developments on the podcast. First of all, thank you for listening. We hope you're enjoying it. Uh, if you like our content and you want more of it, you can subscribe to our channel and get additional conversations between Sugu and I. So stick around after the episode for a quick sample of what you could get. If you want to give us any feedback. Feel free to let us know your thoughts and opinions at shelfwarmers at gmail.com or on Twitter at shelfwarmers. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show. So the next question, which we kind of answered already, but is Jack actually just a red herring or yeah. is there some other significance? Deep cut character, anything? Yes, he's a, he is a character from the comics, Jack Duquesne, uh, in the comic books, Jacques Duquesne. Uh, he was the swordsman in the comic books who was a supervillain who had trained Clint when Clint was young. He trained Clint in all of the archery and other uh, skills that he had. Uh, swordsman then became a Avenger at one point. Uh, he married, he died. He came back. He married Mantis, of all people, in the comic books. He died again. Uh, not super relevant in the comic books. 
Uh, Jack, not very relevant in this show, although I do have to give uh, props to Tony Dalton, who played him. I actually laughed a lot with Jack because Jack ended up being just this sort of he was just dumb and then he you know and then he's he's just he, i've never seen anybody so happy to get arrested and i'm like what is this guy the show didn't care about jack but tony dalton was like no i'm gonna make you care about me and then he gets a sword at the end and he hacks up the tracksuit bros so he was fine but that was the weakest sort of red herring of all time because from the first five seconds of the show you know that eleanor killed armand you know that jack is a red herring so it's like there's it's like there's no mystery at all. It's like yeah, like I I'll be honest. I didn't know that Eleanor killed Armand directly. I knew that she wasn't to be trusted. That she had some hand in this in the whole thing. Um, but I didn't expect her to actually be the one to kill Armand. Um, and Jack. My problem with Jack is the same problem that I think I've mentioned before to you is Suicide uh, Suicide Kings, that mm-hmm. movie, where they were telling you, no, no, it's really the kidnappers are talking about, uh, about her, about her, about her, and then it ends up being the cat. Like, they're broadcasting Jack so hard that it's kind of unbelievable that he's actually the villain but then i'm like well yeah if he's not the villain he has he must have some bigger role to play like maybe he's not the villain but maybe he like has been watching kate from behind the scenes the whole time or maybe he's a lot more aware of stuff because here's the thing he did buy ronan's sword so what the hell was he doing buying that sword if he is literally just a dude? Like, why would he buy the Ronin sword when he doesn't even use that class of sword? He uses fencing and, sword. So what the hell? Yeah. There's two thoughts. One is, uh, why was the Kingpin uh, busting into a private auction to steal things that Eleanor could have bought because she's working for him. Um, and then two, um, this is from a narrative point of view. This is why introducing Elena as early as you possibly can makes sense because you, there's no mystery because the only possible person who could have killed Armand is Eleanor. So by introducing Elena earlier in the story, you have the plausible idea that Elena could have been the killer as well. And, by not doing that, you just there's no mystery whatsoever at all. Jack was like, they were trying way too hard to give you Jack, you know, a great, a, in these kind of mystery sort of thriller things where you're sort of trying to set up this kind of question about who did it. The a good way to do it, not the only way. A good way to do it is to is is to have one multiple red herrings, obviously, but two is to dismiss and discard your actual sus your actual killer as early as you can. And so if the story wanted to make sure that Eleanor wasn't the only suspect or wasn't a suspect, you would have presented the idea that it was Eleanor and then dismissed it in the story. But they didn't do that. They actually, they only gave us context clues that it was, it could have only have been Eleanor. You know, it's. Well, what's funny about that too, though, is, I mean, you're telling me it's a mystery about who killed Armand. 
I'm only now thinking about it like that. I didn't care from the beginning. I'm like, well, oh, sure he's dead. Care. All sure right. Didn't care. Yeah, so yeah. I didn't care who, who killed him because it wasn't important. I was no, I it, was told from the yep. beginning it was not important who killed him. It, yeah, all that's no, the, important is that he was dead. That part of the, the constructing the show like a mystery box was mystifying because it's not a mystery box show. They just wanted to do sort of a fun holiday diehard kind of Christmas mo- action movie romp, but they wanted to do, and it wasn't even a mystery because, like I said, I knew from the beginning that Eleanor had killed Armand. I knew Jack wasn't the killer. I knew Eleanor worked for Kingpin. I knew Yelena was coming into the show. Um, so there was like, there's no mysteries whatsoever. And it's like the only real mystery in the show had couldn't have anticipated the direction they went with Laura and Mockingbird. Um, but like there was no, but then once, once she started those conversations with her and Clint, where she's clearly much more knowledgeable and then she's actually running. She actually, Laura on her own finds out, uh, who the CEO of Sloan Limited is? The minute they did that, I knew that she was Mockingbird. Yeah, right. So right. there was there was no mystery in the show. So why did you bother? Let's just focus on the characters. Let's just focus on the action because when they do that, it's fantastic. There were so many great scenes in the show. You know, um, my favorite scenes in in the show actually are just the two handers. So you have the where uh kate and clint get sort of drunk on frozen daiquiris uh in her aunt's apartment and sort of have a conversation about boomerang arrows which is hysterical and then that that scene and and then that scene goes on for a minute and then ultimately ends in sort of the reason why you want to focus on jeremy renner because he starts talking about natasha the walls come down a little bit he's such a good actor there's so much to do here the scene with Kate and Yelena in Kate's apartment was amazing. Uh, the, the, those two are so good together. The whole runner in episode six with Kate and Yelena, where they're in the elevator, they're sort of fighting. You know, Kate is like, why are you doing this? I don't understand why you're doing this. And Yelena's like, why are you hot? And it's like, you know, there's this, uh, this sort of like tension in the story. There's this like weird sexual tension that starts to happen. And, and then like, and then Kate is finally like, hey, do you just want to go for a drink? And Elaine is like, yeah, but I got to kill this guy first. <laughs> um, that was all fantastic. I want to see more. I want the Kate, Elena show. Um, everything with the tracksuit bros, those guys are just hysterical. Folks who have read the comics, uh, the 2012 uh, Hawkeye run with uh, Mad Fraction writer David Aha artist where it introduces the tracksuit bros it's stupid but i, I can't stop laughing it's like bro it's like right, i i will say this at first when they did the bro after every sentence i thought it was funny for like maybe the first couple lines of dialogue but then it just got so over the top i couldn't take them seriously at all oh you're not like, meant to <laughs> they just seemed like a bunch of goofuses the whole time I'm like, oh my god, and then when uh, when that one person at the at the end, the payoff of that was, I gotta kill you, but before I kill you, I just want to say thank you. It worked. We we went to Maroon Five instead, but I'm gonna kill you now. It's like, <laughs> oh god. No, that it's, had it's so, so good much better it's like... potential. 
I I I enjoy all that shit just because there's something about the whole bro of it all. It's like you know, for particularly for folks who live in the states, the the bro culture is real, and the so the whole bro thing. And there's a great moments in the thing where she, Katie shoots um, uh, one of the tracksuit bros with a, a USB tipped arrow, and he gets hit square in the chest, and the other guys are like, "Bro!" And he's like, "Oh no, you're okay." <laughs> and then. But then, but the, and then she actually legit kills a bunch of them when she fires the explosive arrow into the van. Just kind of move past that. Uh, but then, then at, in the final episode, she she or Clint, Clint hits the the van, the the tracksuit van with the pim arrow. No, and she did. It. She did. Oh, she did that. Okay. And yeah. then, which then gets picked up by the owl, and so those little bros die horribly off screen somewhere <laughs> yes. as they get eaten alive by an owl who does do not want that to happen i mean in all fairness they weren't going to last very long anyway like we were told in ant-man that you have to have the mask on because the air is too big right you have to have the mask on if you're going to survive being that size so they were going to die a horrible death through asphyxiation but then the owl picked them up like that that's the end of of that game anyway did clint did Clint lie to Kate then when she's like, well, what happens to them now? And he's like, well, I have to ask Scott. So so Clint obviously knew that these guys were going to asphyxiate, right? And then he's like, I just want to tell her. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> because they didn't have enlarging arrows. They did not because he had already used that one. He used that yeah. one on the bridge, um, which would have gone clean through the bridge, by the way. Uh, yeah. But whatever. Uh, I loved all that. That I, and that scene too. That that chase scene, outstanding camera work. Uh, a lot of good action in that. I think it was episode three, um, where they're fighting. Also, toys. We talk a lot about toys, obviously, on the pod. Ostensibly, why we're here. But um, in that episode, they're in a KB toy store, an old KB toy store. Um, for the record, there was never a KB toy store anywhere in America <laughs> that was ever that big. And that includes that includes New York City. I think they wanted you. it to be FAO Schwartz, but couldn't get the copyright. Well, that, which is weird because uh, Kate is in FAO Schwartz at Rockefeller in the final episode. Um, so I wonder what that was about. But that was funny though. Just as a just as a nerd who grew up in the '80s, the KB toy reference was appreciated. But because yeah, I remember toy KB stores, Toys is only like the mall toy store. In the mall, it and it was be in, you know, in super tiny, super yeah. tiny in the mall. Um, but that was fun. There's a lot of fun in the show. I, you know, I enjoyed it for sure. I think it plays. Um, now that it's over, if you were to binge it, it probably play very, very well. But it is very surfacey. It doesn't even come close, and doesn't want to uh, come close to the complexities of Wanda or Loki. Doesn't have any of the sort of interesting thematic. Uh, stuff going on a Falcon, um, but that's the thing. It does. Just it just didn't carry it through. Yeah, like the theme of becoming disabled and still having to be a hero. Sure. Versus the theme of Maya, who grew up disabled and having to kind of become that villain, right? Like. She even says in their first meeting, you depend too much on technology. Hmm. That went nowhere. 
the the show does some interesting things. It tries to do some interesting things with the concept of communication. But you're right. It's there's a great scene where um, uh, Clint's son calls him. There, he and that Kate was are a, in the such apartment. A, a beautiful scene. Yeah, and then Kate is sort of the the mediator uh, in the scene. It was that, that was fantastic. And there's a lot of good things with communication. But you're right; it doesn't do anything really with the theme of disability. Like, yeah, Maya broke his hearing aid, right? And so he's mm-hmm. now stuck trying to figure out what to do. And his son calls. And he has to rely on Kate to hear the son so that he can respond back as if he still has his hearing aid. Like, that's such a touching moment about showing Clint dealing with his new disability while also still trying to be a father. Because, I mean, the whole... The blip happened, and he's past the blip, and... You know, he definitely wants to be there for his kids. And the beginning of the the series really drove that point home. Like, he was calling them every day. He was like, all right, I know I'm going to miss tonight's activity, but I will be there for the rest of it. I promise. Mm. And then by episode three or four, kids who? Do what now? Uh, Never mind. I got Kingpin to worry mm-hmm. about. And I got this Ronin costume to, to deal with. Yeah, like like all of that was forgotten, and I feel like that was the heart of the show. Yeah, like that was what pulled it forward because you saw right away. Like I I read this one article. I thought it put it. I thought it put this metaphor really well. During that god awful musical. <laughs> 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 for those who can't see darby just leaned back stretched his arms went okay <laughs> but yeah so during that god-awful musical what did clint do he didn't want to be there for that music because no. i can do this all day like that, that doesn't work okay. right so what did he do he turned off his hearing aid but mm-hmm. he was still present with his kids like, he didn't ignore his yeah. kids. He was still there. He didn't do the the Bruce Wayne thing and say, I got to get out of here and then, you know, like, leave the place. He stayed there, but he turned off his hearing aid. So he didn't at least have to subject himself to that, but still present for the with the kids. That's the heart of the show, like, him yeah. getting past the blip. He... And we don't get any of it, do we? And the, he does the same thing when he goes to talk to Natasha at the memorial. Yeah. Uh, he takes the hearing aid out. Um, we don't get a, a real focus on Clint. The the, the stuff we get is fantastic. Uh, Jeremy Renner, fantastic actor, and brings a lot of just grounded, like I said, weariness to the role, which is great. Um, very, very natural and... He he does have a once you get past the sort of gruffness he does have he's a very warm guy, very loving guy. He loves his family. He which you up saw in Ultron, so it was really cool to kind mm-hmm. of harken back to that and like develop it more. And and especially with Kate and Elena because Hawkeye is someone who's been established who's been very encouraging of uh, 
it, somehow it's worked out in the MCU that he's been sort of this sort of mentor figure to uh, to a number of young women, including Wanda, particularly in Age of Ultron. That carries through into Civil War a little bit. Um, and then now Kate, and then I think Elena, we, a little bit at the end, and then maybe if they go forward, we'll get more of that. And clearly with Natasha, we haven't seen it, but we were meant to understand that he was clearly a major... Uh, he basically introduced her into the world of S.H.I.E.L.D. He helped her react, you know, she leave behind her past, and they became friends and family. She's part of the family there out at the farm. And... That's such an interesting part of his character that he's just sort of this gruff guy, very rough around the edges kind of guy, sort of, you know, very uh, very silent type, but yet he has this huge soft spot in his heart uh, for these younger women. Um, would have loved to have known, is, is there any sort of, is he just that kind of guy, or did, you know, did he maybe have sister, younger sisters kind of thing? We have no idea. Um but I, the, yeah, and they just don't, we just, everything we got was great, but we just don't dig into it. It's a huge bummer, especially if this is the end, if we're wrapping up Clint here. Um, it's not super definitive at the end of the series that this is the end. It could be if it is. Um, but. And to me, I think that's another failure of the show is that, again, they played it safe. They wanted to have it both ways. They wanted to be able to end it, but also extend it if it was popular. Like, Sure. No, just just freaking end it if you want to end it. Like if that's the yeah. end of the storyline, then end it. I feel like that's something that probably changed in the course of production because by the time they were in production, uh, Wanda and maybe Falcon had gone off, and Wanda was clearly designed to be a one-off. But as the but Wanda was also extremely successful. And all of these shows have been very successful. And I think their thinking evolved as the year has gone on that maybe we should think about these in terms of series two, you know, a second season kind of a thing. So like Wanda is Wanda was a one off, but Wanda continues into, you know, other projects. Falcon and Winter Soldier is becoming Captain America Four. Loki's getting season two. What ifs getting season two. Hawkeye, I think probably season two or we're going to get Black Widow 2, which will be Yelena. And then if Kate is not in that movie, that's just stupid. But, um, but we're why would they Kate make your... like Echo be more like Hawkeye season two? Um, it, I, my, my sense is, is that it's going to have a different focus. It's going to focus more on Kingpin. It's going to focus more on her comic book connections, which include Daredevil. Mm. And it's going to include, um, things that are probably a different focus than Kate and Yelena. They could show up, certainly, but I think the focus is probably elsewhere in Echo. I'm now super curious about that series just because it wasn't something I was even sort of thinking about. Uh, Alakwa Cox, who plays Echo, apparently this is her first acting gig ever. Yeah. yeah. Um, very very good, very natural, um, interesting. I would have liked to have gotten even more with her in this show, but this is not her show. She's getting her show, um, so I'm looking forward to that. Man, the Marvel Universe, is, the MCU is starting to feel like homework again. It it it's uh, I don't mind obviously, but um, I I enjoy all of it, and I I do I did enjoy the series. 
uh, maybe as we wrap up here, I just, I, so I'm, you know, I look forward to Echo. I look forward to the next chapter, Kate and Elena. I hope Clint and Laura come back. Uh, people may be wondering at the end of this episode if Kingpin is dead. Kingpin is no, not dead. Obviously, don't not. don't sweat it. Uh, you didn't Kingpin see the body. Was... You didn't see him get shot. You didn't see his his pained face as he looks on his favorite mm. niece shooting him. You didn't see any of that. There's no denou denouma about him yeah. getting shot. He's he ain't dead. Yeah, don't worry about it, peeps. Uh, Kingpin will be back in Echo. He will be back in other stuff as well. Vincent D'Onofrio, so good. Uh, his final line was, uh, you know, family doesn't always see eye to eye. In the comic books, when Echo shoots him in the face, she blinds him. I would expect that to be part of this as well in the MCU going forward. Um, be temporary situation, but I expect of that course. when we, next time we see him, he'll be... He'll be like, ah, I can't see, but I, and which would have been interesting in this show because of the, what you just mentioned with the disability angle. Yeah. But we don't. But we do, we don't. What can you do? It's over. But and, um, and you know, it also comes another point along this that always bothers me is how the plot moves forward because people don't communicate, right? Like, oh God, yeah. <laughs> if people communicated, what? they were thinking if they actually could speak to each other solve a lot of these problems way early on I, I'll just say again I enjoyed the show but I have to say the, the some of the plotting here was stupid so the there are several scenes that this plot scenes that just don't make any sense and one of them was Kate and Clint going to uh, Eleanor's apartment to find out about information about the tracksuits and, and those kind of connections. Clint already knows who the tracksuits are and who they're connected to. Clint knows from the beginning that the kingpin is behind because he and Laura both clearly know who the kingpin is. And he um, even says, this is no, who I've been trying to avoid the whole time. There's no narrative or logical reason for them. The only reason they do that is because they want to have a scene with Eleanor and Clint and they want Eleanor to, to sort of like be threatening. And then Eleanor has to pick up the phone and call someone to deal with Clint, which brings in Yelena. So they need those things to happen and they couldn't figure out how to do it otherwise. Um, yeah, there, there's just some, there's just some, there's not a, the plot, not a, uh, not a, a major uh, highlight of the show. The character work. Very good. The acting, very good. The comedy, very good. The action, generally, very good. Um, and so, what I would like to see, maybe potentially next year, if we get a Hawkeye season two, is I would like to see some different writers. Maybe some <laughs> different. <laughs> wow, you know. just drop the bomb on that. Get the I, writers out I of am, there. I am, <laughs> I am available, uh, Kevin. Uh, my email is. Um, but um but yeah maybe that would be the direct the directing was very good uh bert and birdie directing team did uh i think the middle set of episodes very good um and then yeah let's get them all back because I, I love all these actors and uh Haley steinfeld kate has a huge future in the mcu yelena F florence Pugh has a huge future in the mcu so i i'm excited about all that and i enjoyed it it was it was good um, this was a very good week uh, in the States uh, and, you know, for fans of the MCU with Hawkeye and Spider-Man. It's been a rough, 
rough going on two years and things this year has been a lot of junk and there's a lot of negativity in the world so it was good to have things that you're super positive about and they were just fun and you know and i, I appreciate that certainly um and i had a lot of fun with this show so yeah i mean that's the thing like it was fun until it wasn't you know <laughs> yeah yeah i didn't know gonna be too harsh on it although apparently i just fired the writers but um <laughs> But, that was um, your solution, man. Yeah. My solution to fix the whole thing: just get rid of the writers. Yeah. Like, no, okay. like, no, we're making we're making some changes. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I know I'm excited. I'm I I 2021 was probably the best year for the MCU and for MCU nerds. Um, just given all the great stories we got and the great and the diverse stories we got, we got WandaVision, which is I I would rank up there. It's one of the most uh, unique. Uh, even if it wasn't entirely successful, was was uh, unique and ambitious show. Uh, we got a lot of great stuff. We got a lot of great movies. Shang Chi, I think, has become one of my my top five MCU movies. Um, we got Spider Man. I know Sue hasn't seen it, but it's 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 a great movie. And obviously, people feel the same because they're they're just going to see it in in, in droves. And um, we we had a lot to be sort of happy about. And it was, it was good to have something. It was good to have sort of an escape uh, this past year and change. So. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, I guess that'll do it for us, and I will continue to stay off the Internet and yeah. wait patiently looking at my paper calendar until January 7th. Yep. Hashtag no spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, we know we always ask for feedback. We'd love your feedback, absolutely. But don't be sending us feedback about the um about what happens in Spider Man. Yeah, don't be that guy. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it for today, folks. Thanks again for joining us once again. I'm Darby Harn, and you can find more information about me and my books at my website, darbyharn.com. I'm also on Twitter at darbyharn. Sugu, how can they find out more about us in the podcast? You can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can reach us at our email address, shelfwarmers at gmail.com. Send us feedback about the show, your thoughts, opinions, recommendations, and insights on our perspectives. We're always happy to hear from you, our audience, and we'd love to share your opinions on our next show. Again, that's shelfwarmers at gmail.com. And if email isn't your thing, we're also on Twitter. You can reach us at Shelf Warmers. Give us a holler. We have new episodes every Friday. As always, remember to stay safe, wash your hands, practice social distancing, and get vaccinated when you can. Stick around to listen to a free clip of more content from us. Subscribe today and you can hear the rest of the following and more. Bye-bye.